Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Kalamea. And I'm Amy Gosha. Welcome to the Divorce at Altitude, a podcast on Colorado family law. Divorce is not easy. It really sucks. Trust me, I know. Besides being an experienced divorce attorney, I'm also a divorce client. Whether you are someone considering divorce or a fellow family law attorney, listen in for weekly tips and insight into topics related to divorce, co-parenting, and separation in Colorado. And we're back with another episode of Divorce Altitude. I am Ryan Kalamea. This week, I am joined by Amy. Amy, what are we talking about today? So today, we're talking about spousal maintenance and retirement. Why are we talking about maintenance and retirement? Are you looking to retire anytime soon? <laughs> no, but we have a lot of clients that you know maybe have or will, and you know they have a certain plan. They're married a long time, and they have their plan for retirement, and then they decide to get divorced, and then we have to figure out, well, you know, do they owe their ex or soon to be ex spouse, you know, money each month um, if they're not retired and continuing to work? So that's why we're talking about these issues because they're relevant. In a lot of our cases and clients that have those issues. We are seeing a lot of gray divorces. We had a previous episode on gray divorces and we referenced spousal maintenance and retirement, but it really will get into what happens if Eric Wolf gets in a divorce in his 60s and all of those things. But can you give a general overview, Amy? As of this recording, we haven't courted season four of the Divorce at Altitude how-to podcast about support, but spousal support, what are the general factors that are considered in by court for determining spousal maintenance or alimony? And so I think where we'll start is what a judge is looking at, whether or not to award spousal maintenance is the court's first looking at the property and the debts. The court is looking at, can I divide property without the need of having one spouse to pay the other spouse, you know, for support? But if it's a circumstance where that, you know, can't happen, then we have 1410-114, which is the maintenance statute. So I'll let you, Ryan, kind of give me the lay of the land of, you know, just in Colorado, what does it take to qualify for spousal maintenance? So it used to be before 2014, and Robin Beatty and I talked about some of the revisions on a separate episode with spousal maintenance. It used to be that you would have this threshold of whether or not someone had reasonable property to sustain themselves. And now what we the court first has to do, and I think a, you know an unsaid issue for the court is that they don't like spousal support. Maybe one of the reasons, what I think is one of the reasons is that they have to go through a ton of factors and explicitly identify them. That is if they don't or award maintenance. But the first factors that they have to look at are the gross income of the parties. And I think a lot of people, they really just focus on the income, 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 income. And we've had other episodes, net spendable income with Boris Sobolev, for example, to talk about that it's not just looking at the the income, but it is a factor. And as you referenced, the second factor is the marital property allocated to each party in the way that that comes up is the financial resources of each party, specifically the actual or potential income from separate or marital property. So if Eric Wolf walks away from a divorce with 
10 million dollars then he can you know use that 10 million dollars presumably and it depends on what that 10 million dollars is is it in a business that's illiquid is it in some sort of trust that he won't ever or at least right now can't get access to that really is going to matter and then we're going to look at the reasonable needs established during the marriage so you know Warren Buffett is one of the most well known he's a billionaire multi 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 billionaire but he has this lifestyle. It's a fairly Spartan lifestyle that a lot of people talk about. And the financial needs established in his marriage is going to be different than some of my clients in Aspen that, you know, love to jet set on private jets. Not that Warren Buffett doesn't take a private jet, but, you know, they really eat out a lot. They spend a lot of money on clothes and restaurants, lifestyle during the marriage is, is going to matter. And then finally, we get to ability to pay. And that's one of the first things that at least Eric is going to reference if he's going to be the payer. But Amy, why don't you talk a little bit about the guidelines? Because that is also something that the court has to consider in figuring out the amount and duration and whether it's fair and equitable. Yeah, so in Colorado, we have an advisory guideline. And that advisory guideline is only to combine gross income of 240000 And the factors, Ryan, that you were talking about are in Colorado, essentially, you have to meet a threshold, essentially, for a court. A court has to make certain findings to say, okay, like you've met the threshold test. You know, now let's go and figure out how much you need. And so, you know, those are kind of some of the parameters to look at. Like in Colorado, you know, the advisory guideline says you need to be married at least three years, really, to even, you know, the duration of the marriage needs to be at least three years even to look at maintenance. There is language within the statute that says, well, there are certain circumstances, even if it's a short-term marriage, that you might qualify for maintenance. And I think that one thing when I'm talking to clients, if I'm representing, let's just call it Melanie, if she's not the earner in the case, you know, Melanie's talking to me about, you know, well, we did these certain things, this was my lifestyle during the marriage. And the first thing I talk about is, well, yes, but we also have to look at, you know, you're dividing things like you're not together, and you can't exactly spend what you were spending before. So, you know, the court's going to look at those things. If I'm representing Eric, you know, he's going to say, well, you know, she spends way too much money. You know, I don't want to pay her spousal maintenance. And the thing that I'm talking to Eric about is that I'm really looking at your ability to pay, but also a lot of times the spouse who has the money ends up having to pay more to begin with because the court's also looking at your age and like, what is your ability to earn? So the earner a lot of times has an ability to kind of make that up, you know, down the road. So those are some things that I at least talk about with clients you know, in those positions. Do you have anything to add to that, Ryan? Well, I think to tie it back to the purpose of the show is how does retirement matter? And when we, I think at the very beginning, so if Eric Wolf is getting a divorce in his late fifties or in his sixties, there is going to be an issue of, well, if I have to pay maintenance and oftentimes when these people are in their retirement age or the retirement is a discussion, Oftentimes these are long-term marriages and, you know, we have commented that judges generally 
are against spousal support. And there's just been this general trend. And, and I do, I agree. I think that judges, they try to make up the property division so that they don't have to award maintenance. And we'll get into the modification, especially with retirement. And maybe people can think a little bit about why. But when we're talking about long-term marriages, it used to be that you would get maintenance or Melanie, if she was the recipient, she was going to get maintenance or alimony for the rest of her life. And that is generally not, we don't see those permanent lifetime awards anymore, which I think is fascinating because if you think about it used to be, Amy, you know, you and I are even too young to kind of work for a company like GM or GE or Ford, where you would put in your time, you would work there your whole career, and then they would get a lifetime pension and you would get that guaranteed. And it's really problematic because we've gone to 401ks and people now are responsible for saving on their own. And whether or not by the time you and I retire, Amy, Social Security is going to even be there. And just as an aside, Social Security benefits, they cannot be divided. There are issues of Melanie, can she rely on the savings and Social Security that was acquired or contributed by Eric and those sorts of issues. But if Eric is looking to retire, he might have enough money that he says, listen, I killed it on Wall Street. I moved to Aspen. I'm seeing a lot of these people that have recently relocated and they have a lot of money and they're not working and they don't have to work. And if they have a hundred million dollars, then we're probably not talking about spousal support because Melanie, if she gets, you know, even $50 million, she's probably going to be okay. And we're going to have some other episodes on those extremely wealthy individuals. But if Eric decides, I want to retire at the age of 60. Well, you know, there might be some repercussions and how the law has developed around that is really interesting. And that is that we have now this provision in the law, 1410.122, that says that if someone has reached, quote, full retirement age, then they can seek a modification. And there's a process by which, and there's some law that has developed around that. What we're lacking is any sort of guidance on what happens if Eric is 65 and he's contemplating retirement, is he supposed to keep on paying Melanie until he actually retires? I mean, Amy, we're self-employed. We run our own business and the statistics are pretty compelling. Self-employed people, they generally work longer than full retirement age and, and full retirement age is defined differently by the social security administration in terms of when you're eligible. So it could be 66 and eight months and the government's trying to push back retirement because of the entitlements and people are just living longer. So those sorts of things are at issue in a divorce when retirement and maintenance are involved. Yeah, and I that just brings to mind two cases. I represented a lawyer who, you know, is a partner at a firm and is early 60s, but he, you know, like a lot of us, like he likes to work, right? And so, you know, there was an issue as to whether or not, like, you know, like he didn't want to be required to work, but wife would possibly get, you know, a certain amount of that, you know, while he was still working because it was, you know, a long term marriage. You know, I have another client who, 
you know, is in, in a medical practice and just really has worked hard and now wants to retire. And that was in the plan, but then he's looking to get divorced. So, you know, these issues come up where I think the court also, my experience has been when I deal with this with clients that the court also will be looking at like, what was your life plan? Like if you're looking at these long-term marriages, you know, the court is really going to look at that as well. You know, like what we're looking at, what the court doesn't want to see is someone who's earning money and then just says, well, I'm just going to quit working. You know, like that's not what the court wants to see. So those are just some thoughts that I have. Yeah, I think people need to understand. So what Eric is probably looking at, if he's going through a divorce, is there's going to be a certain amount of alimony or maintenance that's going to be set. That can be changed. It can be, and obviously Melanie and him, there's different, I think people should know there's two different kinds of maintenance. There's modifiable, which is what would happen if you went to the judge. And we'll talk about that in detail next, but there's contractual. So there is going to be a set amount where Eric is going to pay Melanie, you know, $10,000 a month for four years. And then that is set in stone and he could continue working in those circumstances. If, if I'm representing Melanie, you know, and she tells me, he loves to work. Eric loves to work. He's going to work until he dies or he's going to keep on working. Then it would be a disservice to my client if I would agree to contractual, but she might like that. And both parties might like that. But what would happen is Eric probably is going to agree to modifiable maintenance and it could be $10,000. And then once he reaches full retirement age and he actually does retire and there can be different forms of retirement, which I'll address next, but he would then file a motion to modify and say, listen, I judge, I have changed my life. And an example is in remarriage of swing where the husband in that case, he was a long range truck driver. So he would drive across the country and he made good money. And then once he reached a certain point, he was like, I'm tired of sleeping in the back of my cab and I want to drive for UPS or FedEx. It was a local delivery. So he was still doing the same thing. He was driving a truck, but it wasn't as intensive. He wasn't making as much money. And he reached out to the court and said, my maintenance needs to be lower. And so that was an older case that just gives an example of what happens. And another example is in remarriage of Thorstad, which came out And basically what happened is there was a change in the law under 1410.122, which is the statute on modification. And it says now, and it was a recent addition that if there's a full retirement, someone has reached full retirement age, then they're presumed to be retired in good faith. And so Thorstead, what happened is the husband, he reached full retirement age, and then he filed a motion to terminate maintenance. And the court in that circumstance said, yep, you're done. You're completely retired and just terminated the maintenance. And that went up on appeal and the court of appeal said, no, 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 no. It's not such a bright line test and really established what would happen is that there's a rebuttable presumption. So what that means is that someone retires and that could take different forms and they could be going to part-time, but if they've reached full retirement age, then it's presumed that they have 
kind of dialed it back or retired and they've done so in good faith. And, you know, Amy, you and I are familiar, but, you know, divorce flu or similar concepts where people, they just quit their jobs or to spite the other party and underemployment is a real thing. And in remarriage of Breger is a, you know, they, I tend to describe them as the shitty lawyer cases where a lawyer, cause there's multiple of them. And in remarriage of Breger was one of them where the husband was a lawyer. He quit his job to go be an apple picker. And, you know, the court said, you know, you can't do that. Or if you can, but we're going to impute income to you. And so in Thorstad, tying it back to that case is that the court said, listen, rebuttable presumption that you are retiring in good faith. You're not trying to screw over the recipient spouse. And then the burden shifts to the wife or the recipient to say, no, you're just doing this to spite me. And but that's just one factor among a variety of factors that I talked about. And one of them is the pay's dependence on maintenance. So if Melanie is dependent on Eric, then it doesn't, doesn't mean that she just completely is cut off. It might mean that there's a reduction, but it's one that retirement is one factor. And, you know, it brings up, you know, these issues that we've addressed and there's really no easy answer. It really depends, I think, on how much someone was earning with their ages. I think there's a material difference between someone who's trying to retire at 63 versus, Hey, you know, at 65 and we've gone, like you said, in terms of that life plan, if they had gone to a financial advisor and said, our mutual goal is to retire early, that's going to be a different example or circumstance than, you know, one person is trying to retire early and the other person's working. I mean, I just had a case where the wife was 70 years old and, you know, our client was 65 and he wanted to retire early or earlier than full retirement age, which for him was 66 years and eight months. And those are tricky situations. And the reality, and we addressed this in the great divorce episode, is that you can create a plan when you're married. But the reality is that when you go through a divorce, those circumstances and those life plans they can change and people might not be able to retire, but the lifestyle that people envision traveling around and doing things in retirement age, that might be different than the retirement or the plan that they had and really the lifestyle that they lived when they were married and working. Yeah. And I think also timing on retirement. I had a case where both parties were in their sixties. The wife had retired prior to divorce. The husband was planning to retire. He said that that was his plan, but was still working. And the court found that it was a good faith retirement for wife, but not for husband and ordered husband to pay five years more of maintenance. So, you know, there's just a lot of factors and things that you need to consider and that the judge considers when awarding spousal maintenance. Yeah. I think that people need to understand that it's really hard to make plans when you have this uncertainty because Eric, you know, he may say, I'm going to retire at the age of 66 years and eight months and that's full retirement age. But 
he may not end up doing that because he loves to work. And especially if he goes through a divorce and he doesn't, you know, he's, he's not great at making friends and his kids are grown up, then he might decide to continue working. And, but how do we create systems or agreements that are win-wins for Eric and Melanie? That's one of the hardest things about what I think we do, Amy, where we don't want to disincentivize Eric to work if that's what really he wants to do. But also at the same time, you know, should Melanie benefit from that if, and then there's no easy answer from that because it really kind of depends on the facts and circumstances. And I think just people need to understand it's not just clear cut of, I can just retire and quit and that's it. It's just done because they could go. I, I frequently see retired, you know, people working on the mountain up here in the mountains, you know, for skiing, or they might go back to part-time. I mean, frequent characterization for our industry is of counsel and it could be someone that works part-time as a lawyer or in some other capacity and having that second career and how you address that, I think is one of the more difficult issues in retirement with uh, spousal maintenance. Yeah. And I think just kind of to wrap up another thing that really resonated is it's not just about income, right? I mean, it's about, well, you know, like what other benefits is the person going to get or what assets are they getting and what income is going to be generated and to really look at when you're looking at the need of the spouse who possibly would be getting maintenance. So it does get complicated on, well, when is someone stopping working or not, but also what are the other, you know, sources of income and benefits, retirement benefits? And one of those sources of income could be if someone gets remarried later on in life and what happens in that circumstance. And there's interim marriage of Bowles, there's interim marriage of Salby in terms of how much can, if Eric gets remarried, how much can Melanie get into Eric's new wife and what assets she brings to the marriage between Eric and her. And that really is subject for another episode, but it brings in that retirement, what happens in those circumstances. Cause you know, we do see it where people have been in a long-term marriage and they're unhappy and then they quickly turn around and they get remarried because it happens with a fair degree of frequency and how you address that because it can matter for retirement and income. So hopefully that is helpful for people to understand those issues. And as always, thanks again for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. Until next time, see you around, Amy. Hey everyone, this is Ryan again. Thank you for joining us on Divorce at Altitude. If you found our tips, insight, or discussion helpful, please tell a friend about this podcast. For show notes, additional resources, or links mentioned on today's episode, visit divorceataltitude.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen in. Many of our episodes are also posted on YouTube. You can also find Amy and me at Kalamea.law or 970-315-2365. That's K-A-L-A-M-A-Y-A dot law.